Welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. We are kicking off a brand new season today. We wrapped up our deep dive on food a few episodes ago, took a little break, and we're back. And our topic for this go around is going to be unconventional homesteading. So obviously we've talked about homesteading quite a bit on this podcast for, you know, around 280 episodes or so, but I wanted to take a little bit of a different angle this go around. And this idea was prompted by all of the writing I've been doing as I'm working on my brand new book. So I don't want to give away too much of the book this early in the game, but I will say that I've had the chance to dig into some pretty awesome research and studies and uh, books and experts as I've been working on the manuscript. And what it's done is just basically continue to cement in my mind that so many of these old fashioned skills that we talk about here on the podcast, or that so many of you are interested in already, like they're not just a cool little hobby or a fun little pastime. They are really crucial for our society moving forward. I realize it's a bold statement, but this manuscript is making me bolder because, you know, I've got some proof now. And that also left me with a little bit of attention because as I'm sitting here understanding the ramifications of food and production versus consumption and old-fashioned childhoods and how we view our relationship with the environment and all of these ideas and realizing that so much of what we do kind of inadvertently as modern culture is setting us up for failure. It made me have the thought, you know, I mean, everyone, I wish everyone could be able to homestead, but I know that that is not quite possible for every single person, at least in the format that I call homesteading. Not everyone can move to Wyoming. Not everyone can buy 60 acres. Not everyone can even buy an acre. Like some people just need to be able to stay where they are, but still up-level what they're doing and have access to these healthier ideas that make life a lot more meaningful and a lot more happy. So that brought me to this season. And I want to bring on a variety of guests over the course of the next number of weeks. And we're going to be talking about how we can apply these principles anywhere, no matter where you live, no matter your situation, no matter your stage of life, we are covering all the bases. And I think it's going to be really good. So today's episode, the very first one, it's actually, there's no guest. I am the guest. It's a solo episode. Um, when we polled the audience over on Instagram, and I said, what types of unconventional homesteading would you most like to hear about? Uh, there were a couple topics that came up. I'm not going to give the others away today. But one of them was, how on earth do I homestead when I have little kids? Like, how is this possible? Is this even possible? I need help. And so I think that's a great question. And it's one that I have a lot of personal experience around. Because when I started homesteading, when we bought this property, um, I, well, I wasn't quite pregnant, but you know, a year and a half in, I was pregnant with our first, and then I proceeded to have all three of our children in the middle of all of our homesteading activities. So I really don't know how to homestead without kids. I have never experienced it. And I have some thoughts for you today. So let's get started. Okay. A few bits of housekeeping before we dive into all of the meaty stuff, um, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update because I know some of you have been waiting for this. We officially, as of like a couple days ago, now have beef bones and offal 
O-F-F-A-L, on our Genuine Beef Company website. So we've had the ground beef and the roast and steaks for a while now, but a lot of you have been waiting for all of the organs and all of the other good stuff. So that is listed. I have fairly limited quantities of the like beef heart, tongue, um, and oxtail, but we have quite a bit of the liver and bones. So if you want to grab that for making broth, for adding some extra nutrients to your diet, you can check that out over at genuinebeefco.com. And if you don't like beef heart or liver, there's plenty of regular meat over there as well. Uh, also another quick update on Freedom Foundry. We are covering, well, it depends on when you listen to this episode. If you're listening to this episode in April, we are talking about milk cows this month. If you're listening to it in May, we're going to be talking about uh, rural real estate. So I'm not looking to move anytime soon, but I have always had a fascination with real estate, especially right now, since the market is just like kind of wild. And so I have a experienced rural realtor coming on board. They are going to give us a super in-depth training of what to look for if you're buying a property, uh, how to make your current property better if you're going to be putting it on the market in the near future. And I'm going to ask a lot of questions about these crazy interest rates because I kind of want to know where things are headed. So if you want to join us, you can check out Freedom Foundry over at freedomfoundry.us. Okay, let's get into all the good stuff. So whenever I hear this question, how do I homestead with little kids? Um, you know, sometimes it's asked not just in the context of homesteading. Sometimes people say, you know, how can I run a business with little kids or how can I ride horses with little kids? It's kind of all the same, right? And I think that it, it uh, speaks a little bit to our cultural view of children. And you know what, before I go any further, I just need to put a big old caveat on this episode because I am very, very likely going to say things that are controversial in an unintentional way. I'm really good at that. Um, I have some unique viewpoints about child rearing and parenting that have just been shaped from my own experience and having kids here on the homestead. And some of them aren't super in line with the latest parenting philosophies. So, you know, if you don't like how I do it, you don't have to do it. You don't have to like it. That's totally fine. Um, I know my experience is my experience and that's the only type of parenting I can really speak to because that's the only one I've actually done. So know that um, I'm just going to speak about what has worked for us and maybe you can take some inspiration in the process, but that's what I can offer. So, all right. <laughs> But a lot of our culture, I think, has this idea that once you have children, your life kind of has to stop. And I don't think that's expressly stated, but it's definitely a belief that just lingers right under the surface. Um, and I actually don't subscribe to that. And my life didn't stop when we had kids. It definitely changed. <laughs> Things had to adjust. But, you know, I kept doing the things I was doing. Um, I kept riding horses and I kept homesteading and I kept gardening and I built businesses and I was able to do all those things uh, that are a part of who I am while also having kids. So I just want to reassure you, if you're a new parent or you're a prospective parent, um, you don't have to completely lose yourself because, just because you have kids. It doesn't mean that, you know, things don't change and change and we have to run our lives a little different, but you can have both. I just, I firmly believe that. So what that looked like when we started having babies, and I didn't have grand aspirations of what this would look like at the beginning. I just 
was kind of operating out of necessity. But we brought our babies and toddlers and now our older children along for every step of the process. And so when I had our infants, you know, we don't have a lot of babysitters out here. When you live in a rural area, babysitters are not on every street corner, you know, you know, back then for us, there weren't even any preteen girls or teenage girls I could pay to come over and hang out with the kids while I was doing things like there was nothing. So I figured out really quickly, if I wanted to do anything but sit in the house, which I did want to get out of the house, then I had to figure out how to do it with baby in tow. And so they came along right from the beginning. Um, a lot of homestead moms do that via baby wearing, right? You have the front packs or the backpacks. When they get a little older, you can go on the back. Um, Kieran is another way I'm a little different than maybe the, even the regular homesteading crowd in that I didn't do a lot of baby wearing. I had a Moby wrap and I had an Ergo and I just never quite got into the flow of baby wearing. And I realized that's kind of a crazy thing to say when you're a homestead mom because every homestead mom baby wears. Um, but I struggled with it. Like I just found that my babies didn't seem super comfortable and maybe we just needed to do it more, but you know, it is, it, it is what it is. And I didn't find it super comfortable. I always felt like, especially when they were in the front pack, like if I was stirring on the stove, I felt like I was very much um, distant from the stove or I felt like I was going to splatter hot tomato sauce on the baby. You know, if I was outside, I always am leaning over, right? Leaning over to milk the cow, leaning over to get the eggs, leaning over to weed the garden. And I always felt like there was, it was either hard on my shoulders or the baby felt like it was going to fall forward. And so I just never got in that uh, habit. And my children seem to be okay. Like, I feel like baby wearing is a great option if it works for you, but I gave up the guilt of not doing it many, many years ago and things turned out fine. So instead of baby wearing, because that just wasn't a fit for me, uh, I got creative with other methods. So one uh, baby tool that I used a lot was a jogging stroller. So you guys may have even seen this if you followed me for a long time. We had an old blue jogging stroller that I got at a garage sale for 25 bucks and we wore that thing out and it had, you know, big old tires, right? And that can go over the rocky grounds or a frozen uneven ground, or it can go over the cow patties. And I could bundle them up in their snow suits. So I've had all the baby snow suits, like so many snow suits and all the baby warm clothes. Cause they were outside with me during the winter. Um, and we could buckle them up in there and bundle them up and they didn't get cold. And they, they liked going for the ride. Like they knew I was there. They could hear me. I'd be talking to them and they'd go out there and we'd be like, you know, in the buggy going through the pasture. And that worked out really, really well. When I was milking, I could park the jogging stroller just on the way so the cow couldn't, you know, squish it, but they, the babies could see me and I could talk and we, they'd see the cow and they were there engaged in the process. Um, that worked really well. Another tool that I used a lot, um, not a lot, I would say the stroller was definitely number one, but I also had an old play print playpen, also one that I got at a garage sale, so I didn't mind if it got a little dirty. But I would stick that in our barn on the hot, hot days because our little house didn't have air conditioning, you know, and I didn't want the baby to be out, obviously exposed to the sun because it would be 100 degrees. So our barn has a concrete floor and I could open up both doors on either side and there would be this cross breeze blowing through there and it was, it felt amazing. Like I wanted to go sit in there. And so when it was nap time, um, I put the baby, you know, wait till they were not infants. They were like maybe six months, nine months when 
they were tired, they were ready to go down. I put them with their blankie in the playpen and I had a fly screen. Like there's, you could still buy them on Amazon, I'm guessing. Like a stretchy insect screen. It's made for playpens. And I would put it over the playpen so the flies wouldn't land on the baby. And man, they slept so good in that playpen. And I wouldn't be far. I wouldn't leave them in there completely unattended, but I could be cleaning pens, you know, in the barn or right outside the barn weeding. And as long as the dogs didn't bark too much, they would have the best naps ever um, there in the barn in the nice cool breeze. So that enabled me to be kind of piddling around doing stuff outside while they're still out there close enough that I could keep an eye on them. So um, I did a lot of little tricks like that. I'd also, once they could kind of sit up on their own, I would bring them out like if we were in the garden and I'd put a, a blanket on the ground. I had, I had indoor blankets and we had outdoor blankets. So we'd put a little blanket and bring some toys and stick them on the blanket. That works the best before they can crawl. Obviously when they start crawling, then all bets are off. And they would put them in the shade, you know, and I would be right next to them doing something. And then we could engage uh, and they could see what I was doing and I'd maybe hand them a dandelion and they could feel it and touch it or hand them a worm and we could, you know, interact. And we did that from day one. And that really, those little tricks are how we maintain our homestead through three infants. And it works. Like I, I really don't know any different because I've never homesteaded without at least some type of child in tow. So, um, I just want to reassure you that it can be done. Now, as I'm giving you all these cute little tricks and tips, and maybe you have mental images of, you know, my happy baby sitting on blankets, I want you to know that it still was challenging sometimes. So I don't want to paint it with too much of, um, like a rainbow brush of rose colored glasses. And this is just, was just like magical. Like there were definitely days when things just took longer, especially when they got to be toddlers, right? When they can move or they can kind of walk around and then you're watching them for what they're putting in their mouth or making sure they don't get hurt. But what I noticed is the more I brought them along, the less stressful it felt. And I've long maintained that a lot of the pieces of an old fashioned on purpose life, whether it's cooking from scratch or it's putting, you know, weeding or a garden into your daily routine, or it's getting used to milking a cow every day. Like a lot of these things are kind of like muscles. And what I mean by that is when we first start to adopt these ideas that are outside of the norm for us and the rest of society, it can feel really overwhelming and make us feel like we're at max capacity. But the more that we do it, right, it's like a muscle and it gets easier and easier. And I have found that to be true with so many things, um, even like canning. When I first started canning, like it was an ordeal for me. It would stress me out. My heart would be pounding. I'd be sweating. I had to make sure the kitchen was completely clean or I couldn't think straight. You know, the dogs had to be outside. I had to read the instructions a million times. And that was my capacity. That was all I could handle. And now that I've been canning for years, I can do it with a dog underfoot and the kid doing a math lesson on the island and dishes in the sink. And I don't even, I don't even think about it. Right. And that's how it, it felt for me. Uh, the more I would bring the little kids out to do stuff with me, the less overwhelming it made me feel, or less overwhelmed it made me feel. And the reverse was true. Um, I noticed like when we would go hang out with my parents, right? They live in Idaho, so we'd go up there for a week or 10 days at a time. And I had lots of help with the kids and mom would be doing everything and giving them all their food and helping me put them down for naps. Like it was awesome. I loved it. 
But when I got home and I was doing it by myself, it felt harder, right? And it's not to say that it's wrong to have help. Of course not. But just know that if you're trying to transition into bringing your kids outside with you, bringing them into the garden, planting the tomatoes with them, milking the cow with them, and it's feeling crazy right now, know that it does get easier. I promise. And part of that is because you'll get better at it and you'll be able to handle more. And the other part of it is that your kids will start to become more patient or hopefully they should be becoming more patient the more they do it. Um, I've noticed that with kids that are kind of in that helicopter parenting environment, right? It's really a common way to parent kids these days. Um, they're used to being doted on or they're used to being followed around or they're used to being entertained. And so there's a little bit almost of a detox period when mom or dad decides they're going to go and work on something else. And then the kids over here and, and they're not sure what to do with themselves. But again, that's something that can be overcome and that's something that they can work through. And then it gets better for both the parent and the kid. And I think it's really good for kids to have moments where mom or dad is not entertaining them all the time. Um, I think that is crucial. And I'm a huge believer, huge believer in the benefits of free time and free play for children. And that includes being bored because nothing plants seeds for creativity better than a little healthy dose of boredom. And so, you know, as my kids are sitting there on a blanket, they of course know that I love them and I am there for them and they're not abandoned because I just, you know, got done giving them snacks and I changed their diaper and we had cuddle time on the couch before we came outside. But then they also know that they are okay if they're there and I'm not sitting there entertaining them the whole time. And that started to build the muscle in the kids, even from a young age that, hey, it's okay if mom's not watching me 24 seven and I am able to entertain myself and I'm able to be a little more self-sufficient. And that has just paid off as they've gotten older. Um, I am increasingly amazed especially now that my, my oldest is almost 12. And then I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old at the time of this recording. But, you know, rewind years ago, constantly amazed at how capable kids can be. And I think, actually, I don't think I know, and it's been backed up by some really smart developmental psychologists that we kind of, um, we kind of have a perpetual childhood in our culture. We don't expect our kids to rise to the occasion. And historically, kids... Um, we're capable of a lot at a young age. And I'm not saying all oh, that's great. I'm not, I'm not for like child marriage at age 12. Like that's I'm not saying just because something was done in the past that we should follow all of it. But um, there's plenty of instances in history of kids doing amazing things in their teenage years. And those are the years in our modern culture that we really don't expect kids to, to do much of anything other than, you know, hopefully stay in school and do their extracurricular stuff. So um, kids are capable. Kids are 100% okay when they entertain themselves. And I find that mixing those two things together, that free play and that free time combined with the boundaries and the responsibility of like, hey, you're a team member here on the homestead. We're going to work on this together. Uh, that is really, really good for kids. And it seems to help them feel really, really secure and really, really stable. So just once again, I'm going to say, if you are a mom in the trenches during the infant years, the baby years, the toddler years, uh, you can keep doing the things you want to do. It just might take you a little bit longer and don't give up hope because it does get easier. And the foundation you're building now and bringing them along with you, even though sometimes it feels like mass chaos, it's going to pay off and it's going to be amazing. Okay. So all of that being said, 
I, there was a few exceptions to my bring the kids along rule, just to be fully transparent. Um, on the cold days when like it didn't work to do my playpen in the barn trick, I, you know, my kids had nap time. So I would put them down for a nap in the house. And sometimes that is when I would do the things I really needed to have focus on, especially like during the toddler years when we're like, they're like little octopuses, right? With the hands and the mouth. And so I would be like, okay, I'm going to make the ravioli during nap time because that is when I need to be able to focus on the ravioli. Also, sometimes you just need that your own creative time that you're not being interrupted by sippy cups and dirty diapers, right? So I use nap times to my advantage. Um, and we even had extended nap times. Like <laughs> uh, even when my kids were, you know, I don't remember when they stopped taking naps, even like four or five, they didn't really sleep, but we still have quiet time in your room. Like, you know, from one o'clock to two o'clock, you're going to go in your room. You can read books. You can play quiet with toys. Mommy's going to have her quiet time. And we did that for a very, very long time. That is one of the ways I maintained my sanity. You know, during that little afternoon golden hour, I would work on my blog. I built my businesses. I would do uh, kitchen activities, you know, things like folding laundry or dishes. Like that's something I could do with the kids running around or the kids under my feet or make the kids there with me because, you know, they're putting washcloths or socks in their mouth. That's not a big deal. It's a little chaotic for the laundry chore, but it's not the end of the world. Um, but for focus times, I would schedule those during nap time. Um, the other little trick I use, this might come as a surprise, but this, I did this for a very, very long time. Any mom of young children knows that the hours of about four o'clock to six o'clock are called the witching hour. And it's the time of day when, if there's going to be a meltdown, uh, that's usually when it happens because, you know, you're getting tired. The kids are kind of done. It's end of day. You've done all the things you could think of doing. And if you have siblings, they're usually going to start fights then, or they're just going to be fussy. And coincidentally, that is when usually a lot of us are trying to get supper on the table. So I learned this trick from my mom. We have, we had screen time from four o'clock to five o'clock every day. And that's really the only time the screens came on, so, you know, put a DVD in the DVD player, whatever. But that little period, we all looked forward to it because they had a little bit of time just to relax and watch a show. And I could get a whole lot of supper made or maybe work on other things during that hour. Um, and everyone was happier. So that is my little trick. That's not very, you know, homesteader mom, old fashioned on purpose, but that's what I did. And that's what worked. And that's one of those instances where we're mixing uh, old fashioned living with modern technology. And I have no shame. <laughs> whatsoever, because the witching hour, it is real, y'all. It is real. Um, so those are my tricks slash confessions. As far as homesteading while pregnant, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you because I basically couldn't do it. I am no help on that uh, topic. I had horrendous morning sickness during the first trimester of all three of my pregnancies. Um, like bad, really bad. Like I got full on depression. Like I could not keep food down. I threw up constantly. And so it really, it was just survival mode for me. Um, I'm trying to remember what time of year those first trimesters happens, but I know that I was like really not gardening. I did not cook very much from scratch. Like I physically could not cook from scratch. It was so bad. Like I remember every morning I would open up the fridge 
to try to get breakfast out of, you know, on the table. And I would open it up, close it, go to the bathroom, throw up, and then go back and try again, like super sensitive. And so it was survival mode. We ate a lot of junk food, a whole lot of junk food during those first trimesters. Like I'm talking pizza. I'm talking seven up from the bottle. I'm talking frozen burritos. Like I didn't even care. So <laughs> thankfully it got better for us, for me, uh, in the second trimester. So then I could kind of get back to my normal self. And then I wanted to cook again and garden and be outside. But, um, I feel for you if you are like me and you have pregnancies like that, but I have no ideas. I don't know how to fix it. And everyone, whenever, you know, well, many people, when they hear you have morning sickness, they're like, Oh, Oh, I have an idea for you. All you have to do is eat a cracker before you get out of bed in the morning. And I'm just like the next person who says that to me, I'm going to slap them. I'm just going to smack them because when you have real morning sickness, that trick does not work. I'm sorry. Or it did not work for me. Like crackers. mm -mm, No way. Not helpful. So homesteading and pregnant. I know some, some of y'all are rocking it. You're the cutest little pregnant ladies in the whole world. And that, that really wasn't my experience. So I'm sorry to not be of more help, but congratulations if that is you and best of luck. (laughs) So, um, what else do I want to say about homesteading and kids? It's awesome. Like I can now say that I have older kids. I mean, they're not old, old, all the bets are off as far as, you know, how it'll ultimately turn out. Don't have a crystal ball, but I have a preteen. Oh, I have a preteen. I don't like saying that, but I do have a preteen and I have, you know, a couple elementary kids and it's awesome. They are so capable. And I just say that word over and over when I'm talking about this, because I I still am in shock um, of how much they're able to do. And they like doing it. Like they can build fires and they handle the cattle. Um, They have been milking the cow. They can water for me. They make supper and they make breakfast. And my oldest has been making yeast breads and biscuits. And it's, it's not a drudgery thing for them. Like they, they think it's cool and they think it's fun because that's what they've been exposed to. And they've seen Christian and I enjoy those things and celebrate those things. And so I just want to tell you once again, it's worth it. I know it's hard when they're babies. I know it's hard when they're putting a goat poop in their mouth and you're feeling like you're packing baby stuff everywhere you go on the homestead and you're trying to get your, your chores done, but take them with you. Do it. I would say as much as you can bring them along for the ride. Don't farm them out elsewhere whenever possible. The more you guys are involved together, the better it gets. And it becomes a really big blessing in your life as a parent later on. It's it's pretty cool how it's working out, at least for now. So I hope that was helpful. Um, at least that's what works for me. That's the only thing I can speak to is our experience. And I know that uh, I'm glad we, we did it the way we did. I would do it again. So that is today's episode. I believe if I can get all my ducks in a row, our next episode next week, I'm going to have a guest on and we're going to talk about homesteading in the golden years, how to keep homesteading as you age. So we're kind of going both ends of the spectrum, homesteading with babies, homesteading as you get older. And I've had a ton of requests for that topic. So I'm really excited to ask her some questions. She's a wealth of knowledge, has some great perspectives. So come back next week for that one. In the meantime, you can follow me over on Instagram uh, or at theprairiehomestead.com. So Thanks for listening, friends. I'd love to hear your strategies for homesteading with little ones. If you are in that season of life, you can shoot those over to me over on Instagram. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.